Pastor Xavier Reese and the power of the Word. God proclaims the Word to open your eyes that you might obey. But if once your eyes are open and you don't obey, then darkness comes upon you, and that Word judges you. So the Word of Revelation is a two-edged sword. It's there to dispel darkness if you obey and bring you ease and rest and life. But if you reject it ongoing, it will bring greater blindness to you in judgment. Make no mistake of that. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Proverbs accurately describes the drunkard as one who has no grasp of reality. And unfortunately, it's that passing pleasure that can keep them from grasping the truth of the gospel. Today, Pastor Xavier brings a somber warning to those who insist on living a morally depraved life. Let's join him for this important study from the book of Isaiah. The message is entitled, Judgment and Sin Go Together. Isaiah the prophet declares to us the judgment of God regarding Ephraim and Jerusalem in this chapter and provides for us three reasons for that judgment that I think are very relevant to our day and our lives. Verse 1 through 8, the first one, the people's moral decay. The people's moral decay. Secondly, the people's spiritual apostasy, verse 9 through 15. And then thirdly, the people's intellectual presumptuousness in verses 16 through 29. Now, the people's moral decay stands at the head of the reasons here. Notice in verse 1 through 4, the judgment was against Ephraim. He's very specific. The charges are that of drunkenness. Notice that in verse 1. The word woe is always indicative of judgment in the scriptures. This is the first of six woes that follow in this next section of Isaiah. The crown of pride refers to Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, as you know. Now notice the reason for their fading glory was that they were overcome with wine, pointing to the degraded and decaying condition of the country given over to alcohol. Notice secondly in verse 9 through 15, the people's spiritual apostasy is the second reason. Verse 9 and 10, the prophet quotes the words of the drunkards. They're the focus. Don't lose sight of this chapter. It's the drunkards he's addressing. The protest of these drunken people to be instructed is expressed, as well as their disdain for Isaiah's message in verse 9. Their prideful anger asks, who will he teach knowledge? And who will he make to understand? You know, you've seen drunks. Hey, get out of the way. Get out of the way. I'll knock your lights out. You know, you're just, you're stupid. You think you're courageous. They did not see themselves in need of instruction. They did not think Isaiah able to teach them anything. Notice they point out that the message of Isaiah was very simple. Fitted for children. Those weaned and drawn from what? The breasts. They knew God's word. They just didn't believe God's word. They knew it. Notice in verse 10, the mockery of Isaiah is evident by repeating back fragments of monosyllabic words. 
one-syllable words of his proclamation due to their drunkenness affirming the simplicity of his message. So they're thinking on this. And, and the repetition is of the spiritual ABCs here for instruction is the idea behind the words. In verse 10, so you might hear the drunkards, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, oh, oh, you know, mocking them. Yeah, 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 we're all going to go to hell. Yeah, yeah, God reigns, yeah, yeah. Notice, secondly, in verse 11 through 13, the prophet's response to the drunkards was that of judgment. Verse 11, God would speak to the people through the Assyrians with stammering lips and with other tongues since they would not hear the prophet Isaiah. Assyria, remember, would be the instrument of God to take the northern kingdom in a few years, in 722 B.C. Notice, secondly, here in verse 12, God has spoken to his people in order that they might hear and bring rest to the weary. Yet, they would not hear. God's purpose is always to bring rest to your life. But it's through obedience, okay? No shortcuts. And obedience is going to cost you. If you're going to be a Christian, it's going to cost you. Here's the cost. You ready? Buckle up. Your life. You have to die. If you don't die, you can't live. Or anybody else. They instead leaned to their own understanding. They instead attempted to drown their problems with alcohol. Did that make them go away? Did that make them better? No, they're still there, if not worse. The effect of drinking would pass, but the effects of disobedience would not. Remember that. The effects of disobedience never passes. You still have to confront it. Verse 13, the word of the Lord and simple message of Isaiah, even though it was not obeyed, only brought them under greater judgment and their destruction. Ahaz had refused to trust God in chapter 7 and 8. Now the leaders of Hezekiah refused to. The precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, proclaimed that they might fall. That's why it was proclaimed. Broken, ensnared, and caught. Kind of like what Jesus said, right? Quoting Isaiah. That seeing they might not see. And people get freaked out when that is. It's a double thing. God proclaims the word to open your eyes that you might obey. But if once your eyes are open and you don't obey, then darkness comes upon you. And that word judges you. Pharaoh rejected God and he hardened his heart. God strengthened his heart in that position. So the word of revelation is a two-edged sword. It's there to dispel darkness if you obey and bring you ease and rest and life. But if you reject it ongoing, it will bring greater blindness to you in judgment. Make no mistake of that. Notice thirdly, verses 14 and 15. The prophet calls the rulers to hear God's word because they are the ones with greater responsibility. In verse 14, the men who are called to hear are identified as scornful men against God and the things of God. And the responsibility of leading the people in Jerusalem only brought greater responsibility upon them. It's to them that he addresses himself. Scornful leaders, foolish leaders, drunken leaders. The men's foolish vow and philosophy of life was quoted back to them. Listen. Listen. 
They had made a covenant with death and agreement with Sheol, the place of departed spirits. That when the overflowing scourge passed through, they said, it's not going to touch us. So much for that, huh? They had made lies a refuge, and under falsehood, they had hidden themselves. It's interesting how men rationalize things away, right? Well, I, I don't believe that God's going to judge me. Well, like, that, that settles the case. Well, I, I, I don't think that there's such a thing as sin. I, I think it's just an invention of religious people. Oh, I guess that's it. No more sin. And people hide in lies, and they make falsehood their refuge. Very possibly, this could be referring to their treaty with Egypt. Opposed to making a covenant with God and agreeing with heaven. They made a covenant with the world, and they agreed with hell. Whoa. When you're not agreeing with God, you're making a covenant with hell. You're rejecting God's light. Real simple. Real clear. Today, there's a strong movement to embrace an all-loving God who makes no distinction over sin. In fact, he looks down upon such things, and he embraces everybody regardless of their lifestyle, and he's the God of all. It's a very popular ecumenical movement. But like one person said, it may be true that there are two sides to every question, or even every situation, but it is also true that there are two sides to a sheet of fly paper. And it makes a big difference to the fly which side he chooses. <laughs> we have to be careful, people. Notice lastly here, the third reason is the people's intellectual presumptuousness. Verses 16 through 29. In verse 16 through 19, the prophet's message was one of faith in God. Never forget this. God's message is always faith in God. Verse 16, the Lord had laid in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tri-stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. In the short term and immediate context, it speaks of the rejecting God's word to trust him rather than Egypt. And the fact that whosoever believed would not act hastily. God reveals his word, his will, divine revelation. And he expects us to agree with him and make that covenant with him and not act hastily according to our presumptuousness. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not believism. Faith is obeying what God has revealed. I agree that God is God, creator, I'm the one he created. He's holy, I'm sinful. He's a redeemer, I'm the one in trouble. He's the one that can forgive, and I'm the one that needs to confess. Real simple. The first mention of the rock is mentioned in chapter 8, verse 14. The stone. The Lord wanted to be their sanctuary in the midst of that storm. Now, in the long term, the prophetic context speaks of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In fact, this is quoted throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, 
4 through 6, he was a tristone, that cornerstone. He is the rock. Upon this rock I will build my church. You see, he is the one that God has made, that chief cornerstone. He is the one that we must have faith in. Not a movement, not a pastor, not what we do, but in him, the person of Jesus Christ. He's passed the test. He's approved. He's sufficient for that. Look at verse 17. The Lord's judgment is applied to the building metaphor now. The measuring line would be God's justice and the plummet righteousness. So again, like children, we do this as parents. We go out of our way to teach our children. Now look, it's like this, and we come down to their level. He, he's talking about a building, so he says he uses architectural terms here. Look, the line of measuring, God's justice. The plummet, righteousness. And he gives this picture that God will measure everything according to his standard, not man's. And every man will fall short. Now, you ladies have wallpaper. You know that your walls aren't plumb. God says, when I drop that plumb line, when I make the measuring line, you're going to see how off the wall you are. I mean, we pick our standard, and, and, and so the wall's crooked, and we go, well, that's not too bad. That's pretty good. I mean, we, we just kind of adjust for it. You know what I mean? We just kind of go along with it. What's wrong with that? The hail would sweep away the refuge of lies. Verse 17. The water would overflow the hiding place. Verse 18 and 19. The covenant with death would be annulled and their agreement of shield would not stand. The scourge would pass through and they would be trampled morning by morning, day by day, being a terror. In other words, God will expose everything. Judgment can only be averted. By repentance, by faith. The foundation stone of lies, hiding, the covenant with death, the agreement with Sheol was untried, uncertain, with false and weak, and it would fall in the storm of God's judgment. Real picturesque here, real basic things they understood. These are just many parables. Notice secondly, verse 20 through 22. The prophet declares the foolish choice of the people vividly. He is painting some great pictures here. Look at verse 20. Their choice and cleverness is illustrated by a bed that is too short and a blanket that is too narrow. <laughs> is that ironic or what? You ever been there? Have you ever tried to get warm with a, with, a, with a blanket that's not enough and you get it and you roll over and then your back is, you come this way, then the other one. Yeah. The whole idea here is you don't get no rest, do you? This is a choice they've made. It's a vivid warning of the foolishness of the choice. Notice verse 21. The judgment of God will be likened to that of Mount Perism and the Valley of Gibeon. So now he says, now, I'm going to compare it to a historical fact that's taken place. The Confederacy of Kings that came to Gibeon, Joshua defeated them. The Philistines were defeated by David. That's how this judgment is going to be. It's certain. 2 Samuel 5.20, Joshua 10.10. He gives a historical past to affirm the future. 
judgment. God will bring to pass his unusual act, he says, meaning judgment. It is not what God desires. He'd rather be gracious and merciful by and through faith. Mark it well. It is his unusual, strange way to deal with man. What? Judgment. Does not Ezekiel say, turn and live? Why would you die? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's God crying out. Don't think that God is glad when people go to hell. He sent the Son so that you and I would not go to hell or anyone else. Verse 22, the warning to the mockers is to not harden their hearts against the Lord God of hosts. The reason being, they are fighting against the captain of the armies of heaven. He can't lose. It's like, you know, you see a little nippy chihuahua nipping and barking and pulling on this big great dame. And he just looks down and one snap, he's an hors d'oeuvre. <laughs> the judgment will be complete, which looks to the siege of Babylon, not Assyria. It will be complete. In 586, Babylon took Jerusalem. Now notice thirdly here in verse 23 through 29. The prophet reveals the short-sightedness of their thinking as to the timing and method of God's judgment because people do this. They charge God with his timing, his methods of judgment. Look at verse 23. The prophet gives four imperatives as, the, as he beckons his audience. Give ear, hear my voice, listen, hear my speech. There is a sense of urgency in view of the coming judgment. We do that as parents. Listen to me. Don't be messing around with those guys. Don't be going there. Listen to me. Look, look, look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> this is the idea here, an urgency. Verse 24 through 28, the prophet illustrates the judgment of God through agricultural knowledge. Again, always going out of his way to make sure the message is clear and understood. Verse 24, there's a time for plowing and sowing, breaking up the ground and turning the soil. That's preparatory. That's necessary. It comes first. Verse 25 through 6, there is an order and a way to planting depending on the seed. Be it cumin, wheat, barley, or rye, God makes it very evident to the farmer. It never changes. In other words, God's judgment are consistent. They may be different in timing and method, but they are consistent. They do not change. Verse 27 and 8, there are various ways to harvest and to thresh the various crops also, or they will be bruised, ruined, be it common or regular common or black common or flour. The application is driven home in verse 29 by the prophet. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. Wow. As basic as the principles of sowing and reaping in harvest, the same for sin and judgment. The work of God has a proper process, method and timing to suit his purposes, even as a farmer, for plowing, sowing, harvesting the land according to the order of efficiency. Hmm. You see, he finishes by saying that the ways of God are absolutely wise and perfect, excellent in all ways. He is forever wise. 
the epitome of excellence and judgment when a good, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Mm. That's what we see here. He's still calling to the men of Isaiah's day. Court cases sometimes are labeled Stevenson versus the people or Jones versus Texas. And I sometimes wonder what great sin the person did to be against by so many persons. <laughs> Why they even put it that way. But at the last judgment, every case will be labeled I versus God. Every case that stands against God. Can you guess the outcome? Jesus made it very clear that if anyone did not come to him, judgment would always fall upon him. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You must assess that statement. Either he's telling the truth or he's the biggest liar that's ever existed. You can't have it both ways. Jesus said himself, whoever falls upon this stone will be broken, but on whoever it falls, they will grind him to powder. Matthew 21, 44. If you fall upon the rock, you'll be broken of your sin, freed, forgiven. If you reject it, the rock will fall upon you. It'll ground you to powder. It'll crush you. Paul warned the Colossians about foolish and deceptive philosophies of this world that explain away God and the things of God, particularly in the judgment of God. In Colossians 2, 4, and 8, he says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, phileo, sophia, the love of wisdom. An empty deceit according to traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Be careful. Young people, you're in university, be careful. Go get your education, but you better put on your thinking cap. You better be grounded in the Word of God. Peter tells us that God's delay in judgment is for the sake of many to come. In 2 Peter 3, 7 through 9. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But his long-suffering towards is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's goodness. That's what it's all about. The people's intellectual presumptuousness was evident by their denial of God's judgment. It's a sin against God. This is God's judgment regarding Ephraim and Jerusalem. These are three of the reasons for that judgment. The people's moral decay by giving themselves over to wine. Where are you at regarding alcohol? Are you justifying yourself? Are you rationalizing? Are you saying, well, you know, that's, that's, that's law. That's not great. No, 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 no. Let's not play games. The people's spiritual apostasy by disobeying God's word. Is that a habit of life for you? Always compromising? Always disobeying? The people's intellectual presumption is by denying God's judgment. Oh, I'll be okay. God knows. That's right, He does. So think about it. He's a God of love. 
God of grace, but he's a God of justice. No one gets away. Judgment falls on his son or he falls on you. One of the two. Hey, I'd rather have it fall on Jesus. Pastor Xavier Reese and the choice between spending eternity with God or apart from Him. You can pick up a copy of today's study for only $4 on CD. Just ask for the message, Judgment and Sin Go Together. And by the way, this also includes what we heard the last time we were together. So once again, ask for Judgment and Sin Go Together, or simply mention today's date. And you can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you get in touch. We need to be good stewards of our resources, and this helps us track the effectiveness of this outreach in your area. What happens when we put our trust in man rather than God? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 